Welcome to Devon Dragon Radio. I'm your host, Emma Wooschuk. I'm here with special guest, author, and you do so much more than just being an author, Dan Duluski. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, I have a feeling what you do for a living led into you writing your book, The First Five Minutes. Yes. Well, 24 years with the Secret Service. And after I left that, I moved down here to Florida and I was just going to retire. I, you know, live on a beach and I'm good to go. But obviously, as an alpha personality, um, that didn't go very far. So uh, the local school uh, county had an opening for an emergency manager, and I thought that would fit my background very well. And it did. Um, it was uh, something that I was thrown into because I was it. I didn't have a staff. I didn't have any assistance. I was just told, you're the emergency manager. Here's what you need to do. Go for it. So fortunately, and that part of it, uh, I had some autonomy where I could create school plans for these schools create emergency plans, and change some of the things they were doing. Uh, this is back now. I've been out of there now since, oh, my gosh, uh, 2018. Uh, but back then, uh, we didn't have enough fencing around the schools. Uh, we didn't have the kind of uh, emergency plans that they use nowadays. We were still using codes. So you'd go into a school, and for a drill or even for the real thing, they would say, okay, we're in a code red or code blue or code white, whatever the heck it was. And if you were a stranger or a visitor or maintenance, were like, well, what does that mean? Uh, it doesn't sound good, but what does it mean exactly? So to get them to change from codes to actually using just plain language, we're in a lockdown, we're in a lockout, uh, and then go from there and just go through the procedure took a while. And I got a lot of pushback. I'm, I don't mean to chuckle, but it was just something that was frustrating to me because common sense said, just use plain language. I had one school, and it's in my book, The First Five Minutes, some of the stories that I've had with these schools. It was an elementary school, and they thought it was a good idea not to uh, create fear with the children. So their code for a lockdown was, the pony is being delivered today. And that's what they would put out over the loudspeaker. And I would just laugh, and I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? How, so everyone, everyone who was a visitor would be going, they're having a pony here today. Oh my gosh, I have to see this. And they were like, oh, we didn't want to scare the children. I said, no, it, these children are not naive. It's okay to say lockdown. You're not saying something that's dangerous to them. Mm -hmm. So again, that was another struggle uh, just to get them to change uh, their attitudes about this and just use plain language. So that was part of uh, what I had to deal with. Um, and the reason we'll go back to what the reason I wrote the book was after Valdi, there was a lot of issues there that on the law enforcement side and also on the administrative side, and I just get really frustrated. So I needed to vent. And the re that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book. But what's happening recently, and I'll probably do an update. My wife said, look, do an update because other things have been happening. You yourself, and I'm sure your audience has seen, we've gotten, the shootings have gotten more prevalent and more media coverage. We have. I can remember Columbine being in yeah. school. Right. Now, I wasn't at Columbine. I was in Ohio during this, but I can remember Columbine. That was the first time we had an actual school shooting that was in lifetime. It was on video. It was on the news and it was everywhere. 
Now we fast forward to now, it's almost that we are seeing school shootings once a month. Yes. And after a while, you almost become numb to it, which is terrible. But the media, it's like, well, a couple got shot. I will, you know, a few hours, we'll go to something else. And now it's a numbers game where if you've got 10, 20, 30, whatever the number is, okay, we'll cover that for, for longer. Or if there is some background with the shooter that, you know, they want to be concerned with. But I don't want to focus on that so much because, again, the schools that I've dealt with, anytime there was a shooting that happened, I would go to those schools and I'm telling you, these teachers are scared. They're like, look, we're scared. And I would try to reassure them, look, it is like being struck by lightning or winning the lottery. It more than likely will not happen here. I just want you to be prepared. However, again, it's not just about school shooting. We've had the incident where uh, weapons have been found in a school, where ammo ammunition has been found, knives have been found. So it's not just about school shootings. We've seen more incidents of students bringing weapons into school for whatever reason. They're scared, they're bullied. It's a gang issue, whatever it is. So it's not just that. And what happens is the knee-jerk reaction you get is parents will say, look, you need to do something to the school board, to the administrators saying, well, you need, we need to see something. Mo most of the time, school administrators will say, okay, we'll get metal detectors. Done, that's issues over with, parents are satisfied, see you later. Too much money, technology is not what we're looking for. Technology is good in certain aspects cameras, communication systems, walkie-talkies, metal detectors, not so much. It's, it's a lot of money, a lot of training, and I'm telling you, and I'm sure you've heard this before, if someone is hell-bent on getting into that school and creating chaos, a metal detector is not going to stop them. They'll no, it's not. Go right through it. So mm -hmm. the book that I've written, it's called The First Five Minutes, School Shooting Survival Guide for Administrators and Teachers. It's also for parents. And I need parents to go to their school board, to go to the legislatures and say, what are you doing? What are we doing at schools? How are you running your drills? How are you training your people? And they need to ask their children, what's going on? Are you doing lockdowns or are you doing what's called options-based training? Options-based training is the emphasis is put on the teacher. So they'll go to the teacher, these trainers and say, okay, we're gonna give you the option. You can either lock down or if you know where the shooter is or you think you know where the shooter is, you're going to run with your class to the nearest exit. Now, high school, maybe, I mean, this, I, I don't, I disagree completely now. When I first started this, Run, Hide, Fight had just about come out. Remember that Run, Hide, Fight was created by the U.S. Department of uh, Homeland Security through uh, the Houston field office. It was not created for schools. It's transferred over to schools. It was not created for that purpose. It was for businesses. It is not for daycare. It's not for elder care. It's not for hospitals. It's definitely not for schools. So run, hide, fight is not the answer. The answer has been, and it's always been locking down. I ask that schools always keep the classroom doors locked during school time. The easiest thing you have to do then is turn your lights off, cover the little window in the door, sit quietly on the floor, put your cell phone on silent, helps on its way. They're coming. However, don't think that just because you're sitting quietly, someone may try to get through that locked door. Well, lo and behold, it's never happened. It's happened one time. 
where a shooter tried to shoot through a locked door to get inside. And that was on a Native American uh, reservation. It takes too much time. They want easy victims. They want in the hallway, they want the cafeteria, they want to open that door up and start killing people as much as possible because they know in their mind, there's a clock ticking, police are on their way. That's why I went with five minutes. The FBI data was between three and five minutes is when these shootings happen. So we're in that classroom quietly, you're waiting for the police to arrive and that's it. You do not listen to any announcements. You don't listen to the fire alarm. You don't listen to loudspeaker. You do not listen to anyone pounding on that door saying, let me in. Very simple, practical. Now, what schools need to do, once you've got that training down, teachers have the confidence to know what they need to do. You'll have fencing on the outside. You'll have one entrance only into that school. One entrance only. That person, whether bad or good, has to come in through that school through that one entrance. They're funneled into a lobby area. The only way they get into that school is if they're buzzed in, if they're able to get into that school. So you're gonna have multiple layers of security before that bad person gets into the school. So again, you don't need to, you don't need to use a lot of money uh, for school safety. It's not needed. Yes, cameras are great, but cameras are put in schools for what? They're put in for the purpose of, of, of looking for bad behavior in kids, whether they're smoking, fooling around under the hallway, this and that. The, the cameras weren't specifically used for security. And now if you're gonna use them for security, the expense is just astronomical because you're gonna want uh, cameras that focus in, that can zoom in, that could move. Um, you know, it, it, it's basic, it, it's a simple practical approach. Like I say in my book, to school safety, you don't need a lot of technology. It's what they call security theater. Uh, it's something that is very simple and easy to use. And in my book, I try to use what's called implicit memory. And my training at Secret Service was implicit memory of basically doing something without thinking. When you go in your car and you put your seatbelt on, are you thinking about putting your seatbelt on? No, button in the shirt. No, you're not even thinking about it. You're, just, you're automatically doing it. In order to, when you go into a lockdown or any kind of emergency situation, in your mind, you sure already have, hey, I've gone through this before. We've trained for this. And you have the confidence to do what you need to do in that situation. So what's happening now is that I tell you, teachers have the, one of the toughest jobs, the most toughest job, not only with because of the pandemic and, and, and COVID, what's happening with their students, but the emergency situations that they're dealing with. And as we've seen, the country's going crazy. Uh, you had those kids out in Chicago just going crazy, uh, you know, gangs of them going down in a, in a mob. Uh, you've had situations where it's like, what, what's happening? Um, where are the parents in all this? What's going on with these kids? Uh, so that's not my lane. I believe in behavioral threat assessment. I believe in that, that kind of thing. Will it stop someone as an individual? Maybe. I mean, I haven't seen any data on that. You have to watch out, though, when you start getting into children's lives, you know, you're looking at some, you know, civil rights issues. Um, if you start searching for what they're saying online, what they're using their phones for, uh, that kind of thing. So you have to be very careful about that kind of thing. Now, if you have someone with behavior issues, yeah, I can see where you, you need to talk to them. You need to sit them down. You need to know what's going on, but a lot of places just don't have the resources for that. So my lane is look, if it's going to happen, I just want you to be prepared. It probably never will happen. Probably, probably never will. But 
I want you to be prepared if it does and have the confidence to be able to do what you need to do. Right. It starts with, like you said, a fence around the school. How many schools out there in America are made from 1920s to 1970s? They have how many windows, how many doors? Are those lockable? Are those a modern type door? Or are those still the 1920s, 1950s doors? So first, upgrade there. Just upgrade. Now you have a fence. Now you have upgraded doors and windows. That's first. Now we look at the inside. Can we have that 1920s mentality of just walking in the school? Or do they actually upgrade and put into a lobby? The school I went to in high school was completely remodeled for security purposes. It wasn't said it was for security, but if you go into it, you have doors that anyone can walk into. It goes into the office. You have to be buzzed in to get into the school itself. Mm -hmm. Even if you go into the teacher's area, you have to be buzzed in. You have one person that buzzes you in. Exactly. Yes. And as you found out that after any of these shootings, that's usually what the media is focused on. And that's usually what the parents are focused on. The last one in Nashville, the shooter came in and shot out the glass. Okay, now we need bulletproof glass or we need to do something with the glass. Well, they were talked about that. There was an individual there that did their uh, security site and said, you know, you, you have to do something about this glass because that's a vulnerable area. Bulletproof glass is, is too much money. There is laminate out there that you can put over the glass that is not particularly bulletproof, but it will slow the shooter down so that so they can't get in. So that's a cost-effective uh, area. But usually it's something that happens. It's when something happens and you go, wait a minute, we got to fix that. I had an elementary school that had the, the half doors. There were half doors that they would swing open. And the countertop was about waist high. And you know, I'm six foot something, but it was about waist high, about four feet high. And what happened was a parent who was divorced came in. It was the dad and he wanted to pick up his child. And they were not authorized. They all had little cards and say, okay, someone so was authorized to pick up the child. He was adamant about it. So what did he do? Jumped over the counter and started attacking the staff. They're like, oh my God, okay, we got to fix that. Took away the half doors and got solid doors. And now they brought um, uh, thickened glass. I want to say what type of glass it is, not bulletproof glass. Down low enough where it was like a bank. So you just have a little space on the bottom where you could pass papers back and forth. Mm -hmm. At first, I was like, do we really need to do that? Um, but it, it really protected the people behind the counter because they were like, I don't want somebody jumping over the counter and attacking me, you know, some irate parent. So at first, when parents came in, you were kind of taken aback because it looked very claustrophobic because it's now looked the glass and the counter and it just felt like you were enclosed. But after a while, when I explained to parents, look, this is for the safety of the staff. And also they can't get in by jumping over the counter into the school. So it just takes a little bit of time with these security measures. I understand parents are saying, look, I don't want schools turned into prisons. It, it's a very fine line between having a welcoming attitude that you welcome them into the school, but also be safe enough where someone just can't walk in, like you said, and have access to the school. So that's the fine line that architects and school administrators have to deal with. It's getting to where, yes, we can have an inviting lobby that you have to be buzzed into. What's be wrong be with being buzzed in to a door for this inviting 
area. The lobby of my high school is beautifully done. It has the doors that you have to be buzzed into by after going through the office. Yeah. At the same time, until then, it looks like what you said, a bank. Right. The staff is safe. The kids are safe. But once you get into the school part, it's still a recognized, it's a school. Now, if a shooter, heaven forbid, actually has something going on there or a knife fight or whatever else, because kids are going to be kids, you can just lock the door and now you're in an actual enclosed area. And what happens? You're actually boxing the perpetrator in. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. There's only one way for them to go out, back out. They can't get in. So there's only one way for them to go is to exit the building. And what happens is I'm sure at your high school and happened a lot of the high schools that went to even middle schools, elementary schools, not so much. And it happened in Uvalde, even though that was, you know, there was a lot of things wrong there. But the issue is of propping doors open. And it happens a lot in high school because number one, you'll either have teachers or students stepping out so they can smoke a cigarette mm -hmm. or they're stepping out to let their buddy in or they're stepping out to get a pizza delivery and they'll wedge that door open. And you know who's watching the school? These students, these shooters, they're watching everything. They know what they do. They know what time. Look at Cruz when he went to Parkland. He was watching them for months of what they were doing. He knew which door to go into. He knew what exit was open. He knew what time they were let out. I mean, all this stuff was already in his head. So they've already got an idea of where they're going to enter, how they're going to enter, how they're going to escape or not, you know, commit suicide or, or they'll, they'll run off. So you have to watch out what you're doing. Now, when someone says, well, they know what kind of what happens in a lockdown. They already know what happens in a lockdown. Well, yeah, they do. Well, I'm not going to have them running around so you could just shoot them at will. I'd rather have them in a lockdown, even though they know that's what's going to happen. They're still looking for easy victims. So schools already know this, but your most vulnerable times of a school for any kind of incident is morning arrival, lunchtime, and dismissal. Because those are the times where you're most vulnerable, because that's where you have a, a bunch of students coming in or leaving or in the cafeteria all at one time. And I tell you, in some incidents, chaos is good. I was, it was very hard for me to get a drill done during lunchtime because down here in Florida, and maybe most states have this, children have a set time. You have to let them eat. So I kept getting complaints from principals going, no, we can't take away their lunchtime. So I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Do they go out for recess or some other study hall kind of time? Well, yeah, they do. Well, well let's run it as if it's a lunchtime at that time. And I was able to do it at one high school that had not only an, an interior cafeteria, but they were allowed to eat outside. And what we did was we set up all the staffers at certain locations. And when the lockdown went into place, they all had their zones and they would call kids through. And it, it worked out. It, it wasn't perfect. And I don't expect it to be perfect. But chaos is OK because a shooter, again, wants easy victims just sitting there waiting to be shot, not kids running around in all different directions. So it worked in, in that case. Now, I don't expect that to be happening in, in elementary schools. And obviously, most of your state schools, your elementary schools, you have more elementary schools than any other uh, school system, because obviously, if you move up in grades, the, the classes just get bigger. But I want to get back to this point of this options uh, training, which is happening a lot in this run-hide fight. You do have a lot of teachers in elementary school that some will say they give them this option of, of running. I'm not going to have a teacher that's in elementary school with 25 to possibly 30 children and take them out into a hallway to leave 
they're going to hear bad stuff. They're going to see bad stuff. They're going to be running to an exit and probably funneling themselves and, and create hazards alone. And this, there's a bunch of studies out there. There's a company called Safe Havens International that has done a bunch of simulations, a bunch of research on this. And they've run into issues where they said, look, we can't do this run, hide, fight in this options-based training because it's very unsound, it's unsafe, and there's a lot of liability issues involved in this. When you have children that are hurt during a drill, like, well, during the real thing, this, this sure as heck isn't going to work out. So you have to be very careful about how these drills are run. And there's no reason to change things just to change. There isn't. Stick with what works. Lockdowns work. You'll be able to survive. You'll be safe. The good guys are coming. Look what happened in Louisville. I mean, that was pretty much perfect what happened there. It was sad that those children and staffers uh, got killed, but that was the best scenario you could have hoped for in that kind of situation uh, where everything ran correctly. And they had run drills. Uh, when we, the, the, afterwards, they had said, look, we knew what we were doing. We knew we had to go into lockdown. We were just missing some children. And that's, that's going to happen. I mean, it, it just, again, I've been up to Sandy Hook. My sister's from up there. And this school is not easy to get to. It's off a side road behind a fire department. So it's, again, idyllic New England community where some would say it would never happen here, never happen here. And, and, and it did. So don't ever say it will never happen here. Just be prepared. And so be prepared. Run the drills more than once a year. I'm very, I would have arguments with my fire marshal. Fire drills are run once a month. Once a month. When's the last time there was a fire in a school that hurt anybody? It's been over 100 years. Yet everyone knows how to do a fire drill. Fire alarm goes off. Okay, we walk towards this exit. We wait, wait. Okay, now that all, all clears back, we go back in. And they do that once a month. Lockdown drills are maybe once a quarter. Maybe. Maybe once six months, once a year. That's ridiculous. It should be the opposite. You have to run these drills more often and correctly. We have tornado drills how many, or hurricane drills or depending on our state. We have our fire drills. I'm going to date myself a little bit. 20 years ago when I was in school, we had fire drill. And then two weeks later, literally had another fire drill. For what? We just had one. Yeah. When I was there, we never had a lockdown drill. This was 20 years ago. My daughter, I think, had one lockdown drill in four years of high school. One. One. That's 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 nuts. That, that's not. It's it's really up to the legislatures uh, that should designate this, or the school board that needs to designate this. And it, it's just the problem. The problem with a lot of this stuff is this is an unregulated industry. There's no certification. There's no licensing. There's nothing that says, hey. That guy is a school security expert, or that guy is a school security prevention expert. There is, there is no such thing. I, I waited for years to call myself an expert. I let other people do that. Um, it, it's just something that it's hard because it's either former administrative people that consider themselves an expert, former military, or former law enforcement that will jump in and say, I'm an expert. Here's the training I have. Use me, and you'll be safe. It, it's... And I don't think it will be right unless it's regulated by the state. I don't want the federal government involved with something like this. It should be up to the states to decide how they're going to run these programs. But to, to basically cherry pick different individuals to say, 
okay, this one's an expert because, because why? Because what they're saying is true. You have to watch out. This run-hide fight is still very prevalent, even though the U.S. Department of Education said, you know what? We shouldn't be doing that anymore. Um, you've got something called ALICE. It's an acronym that stands for alert something something. Um, and there's another one out there called ALIVE. You have to watch out for these kind of training programs because I, I don't want to say, well. Where's the data between these programs? Um, on LinkedIn, and, and you do get a lot of people on there that are vendors that will say, hey, if you use our program, they're not going to guarantee anything. If you had used our program, we're very happy to come in and help you with whatever situation you have. And they'll do it right after usually a shooting. And it really bothered me where I just finally went on there and mm -hmm. said, look, do not come on here and advertise after, after a tragedy. That, that it's wrong. It's shameful. You should not be doing this. I wrote this book because I wanted awareness. The book is 77 pages long. I'm not in it to make money. I would love the book for everyone to have to take a look at. It's a short handbook. It's got an emergency plan in there, a blank one. It's got an area where you can download reference cards. And I didn't find out about this until a doctor friend of mine said, oh, yeah, we use reference cards all the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? She says, oh, yeah. She says, I'll, I'll be in a hospital. And they'll say code purple. I'm like, what the heck's code purple? She'll say, yes, look at their reference card. These reference cards that I put out, if you're in a situation, you forget something during a lockdown, or you forget something during a hurricane, flip to the card. It'll say, hey, you need to do this. And they'll, and they'll remember a step because I tell you, if you're involved in, in any of this kind of chaotic things, you're going to forget what your name is. You're going to forget what day it is. You're going to panic. You are absolutely going to panic and freeze. It's happened. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen where I had a, a colleague of mine. His wife was an assistant principal in a middle school. There was an individual next door. And again, he wasn't directed at the school. He was mad because of his mother's boyfriend. So he got a gun. He started shooting up the house. And while he was shooting up the house, he stepped outside and started spraying around the neighborhood. Well, some of the bullets hit the school. The school goes into a lockdown. After this, I mean, you know, it took hours before this was finally settled and, and the individual was under arrest. I talked to him and he said, my wife, who was the assistant principal, was, was very involved in this. And they had done lockdown risk previously. She said, the assistant principal said, one third of her teachers froze. Froze didn't know what to do, didn't do anything. So it's gonna happen. So that's why I'd rather drill more so people can get confidence and know exactly, okay, I got a lockdown, here's I need what to do. If I don't know what to do, I'm gonna look at my reference card. Oh, oh, forgot that step, forgot to turn the lights off, whatever it was. And you're gonna do what you need to do for your kids and for yourself. And the number one thing I would say to anyone listening, that's a teacher, administrator, keep yourself safe first. Keep yourself safe first, then you can save lives. Don't go out, because I'll tell you a story. I had a lot of elementary schools, not all of them, but a lot of them, where the principals during a lockdown drill would go with me, and I was just a ghost, I was just there to observe, would go with me and her staff to make sure the doors were locked. And I said, well, wait a minute, during a real incident, what are you gonna do? She goes, well, I'm gonna go out and make sure the doors are locked. I'm like, no. Are you carrying a gun? But no, you don't. And they were adamant and they were emotional. No, these are my kids. I have to go save them. You're not saving anything. Stay in your office, lock the door, wait for the good guys. You know how hard that is for a principal? Because they want to do something. It's their family, especially elementary school principals. I mean, they are emotional about this. this is, these are their kids and they want to help them. So look, you're not helping them 
by going out and getting yourself shot. It happened at Sandy Hook. That principal stepped out in the hallway. What, what happened? She got killed. So it's very hard to do. And again, that's why I asked for drilling as much as possible for these principals to sit in an office and feel helpless while all this chaos is going on. But you have to do it. You have to keep yourself safe first. Then you're going to be able to help other people. Exactly. That's the world one where any first responder will tell you, you have to stay safe yourself because if you're hurt or injured, who's going to help you? Right. You can't help others if you need help yourself. Exactly. Exactly right. And it's something that is very hard to do. I would find it hard to do if I knew, you know, my son, my son's in high school, you know, if I knew something was going on and just a little off, that's off topic. But something about that, um, it's a subject that's come up because it's been happening recently. There's something called swatting. And I don't know if you know about this. Uh, swatting is where a phone call will go into 911 or go directly to the school and say, there's an active shooter at your school and they're shooting up the place and the police will respond. And it just turns into something weird because everyone's going, What's, why are the police here? What is going on? And these swatting events are becoming more and more prevalent. And the other thing that's happening is that because children have their phones with them in school, they will airdrop threats to other phones or to, to, to phone. I don't know how close they have to be. I, I want to say it's 200 feet. Maybe I'm wrong. But they can airdrop threats throughout the school. And that's been happening. And it's just, from my mind, and everyone's got a different opinion. There's absolutely no reason for phones. These kids have phones in a school system. None. What, what for? Why do you need a phone in a school? I understand helicopter parents. They want to be in, in, in contact with their children. Well, I'm sorry. Years ago before phones, what you would do is you call the front desk. Hey, I need to speak to Johnny. Okay, we'll go get him and bring him to the front desk. No problem. Why do you need a phone? Why do you need that leash with you? Because I'll tell you what happens. I don't care if it's a bomb threat, an active shooter, whatever kind of emergency it is. And what will happen is the kids will start sending texts through TikTok, Instagram, whatever the heck, what, what's up, what chat, Snapchat, whatever. And the parents are getting this thing through social media going, hey, there's a bomb threat at the school. And my student is, my child is saying they've seen the backpack with wires sticking out of it and the bomb's going to explode. Total rumor, total falsehood. And they'll put this stuff out. It's happened to me. I've been at a location where I had 1,500 kids at a high school there and a bomb threat. And right next door was a middle school. Well, they had to evacuate also. So now everybody's evacuated out of the school. And now the rumor mill starts happening. I saw this kid with a backpack and I saw wires sticking out. I saw this. I saw that. I've had incidents where they've had weapons in schools and it turned out to be false. Well, while the police are there searching for it, now you're getting texts saying, wait a minute, I saw a gun. I saw, it's like Elvis sightings. I saw a gun. It's like, what? There's no reason for kids to have phones in these schools because in one respect, okay, it's a good thing during an active shooter thing. You'll have kids sending messages. I love you, mom. You know, we've got an active shooter here. 99% of the time, there's no reason to have that phone. There is. No, I'm one of those parents when my daughter was in school, I said, okay, you're not getting a cell phone. She never had a cell phone in school. And we live in this data age where everyone has a cell phone. You don't need it. She still doesn't have a phone and she's an adult. <laughs> Unless there's a reason for you need to need that phone because you're a business person, you're on the go constantly. You don't need a cell phone. You don't need to be tied to it. No, no There's I, no I, reason to have it in school. No, 
I could see the addiction. And I asked my son, I said, when you're in a classroom, do they ask you to mute, mute your phone or, or put it away? He goes, well, some teachers do. I said, what? I said, so what, you've got kids sneaking under the desk with their phones on, sending messages and stuff? He says, yeah, some teachers don't care. I said, well, absolutely, that's wrong. It should be a school policy where you, these phones are just, they're a bane. They're a bane to, to kids themselves and to social media. Um, and it's, it's just something, it's wrong. And I think it's just ruining their education as it is. But now in an emergency situation, it's, it's even worse. So it's just, again, I'm sorry to get off on a tangent on that, but since the swatting events have happened and these airdrops have happened, it's like, wait a minute, well, what is the reason to have phones in the first place in, in a school? Anyway. No, my school. head is, okay, so you put in a threat in the school, now you evacuate the school, now the threat is actually outside. That's yeah. how my mind works. Yep. What if people actually use that because they're using the phones to make the threat? And they're in the school, but they have something else planned outside. Right. It hasn't happened, thankfully, but it could happen. Are we planning for that? What's the simple solution? We'll get rid of the phones from the kids in this classroom. There's a simple solution. doesn't cost anything. No, it doesn't. And I agree with you, but I tell you what, it'd be a hard uh, hard thing to, to pull over uh, on because I think the kids would really scream. And I don't know if the parents would like it too, because the parents, they want to be in connecting. They want to be connected to that mm-hmm. child at times. And it's something that it, it's really ruining the, their learning experience. It is. It's just my son. I, and, and I don't know, maybe your daughter, what you said, your daughter didn't have a phone. My son and a lot of these kids are on phones 24 hours a day. It's incredible. And the only thing we kept trying to find out a way to take the phone away from him. And we said, all right, your grades. Well, he's got A's and B's. Okay, well, that's not going to work out. So you try to think of some way that, you know, get rid of the phone. And he keeps, you know, getting around it. His grades are good. You know, he's not uh, being uh, uh, disruptive in the classroom. Uh, He's a good student. So I'm like, oh, gosh. All right. Well, I, you will let it go for now, but you know you just don't like it. But and I tell you, you can see how addictive it is. I mean, I play these video games. The hours go by, and you're just you forget to eat. You just like, oh my god, hours are like it'll be dark. You're like, wait, what happened? Because all time goes uh, away from you. So it's just again the way society is built now with this the, the social media and and yes, I, I understand phones are here to stay. I wish there was a way to get rid of it or have a cell phone blocker in the school somewhere, you know, where you can't do anything. But this is conversations that schools need to have internally. It shouldn't be a natural thing. It needs to be done individual schools. All safety plans have to be statewide, not just citywide. And it shouldn't be federal regulated because each state is different for your, your education. Right. No, I agree. Yes, it should be state regulated. Uh, in my, in, in the, my uh, excuse me, state of Florida, after Parkland, uh, legislation decided that the local police uh, should, or the county police, should be the ones in charge of safety. Uh, one of the reasons why I left, I didn't agree with that. Uh, I was a police officer. Police are more reactive. They're not proactive. Uh, so I disagreed with that. I'd rather have uh, regular citizens involved with the safety but this is just something they decided. And the, the one good thing here in Florida, and I will emphasize this, special resource officers. We have special resource officers in every single school. 
in the state of Florida. I know all the way down to elementary schools. And, and I will qualify that, armed special resource officers. These people go through intense training and there has been pushback because of the BLM movement and what's been happening in the past couple of years where students themselves said, no, I don't want a police officer. I don't want a special resource officer in a school. They scare me. I don't want that. Special resource officers are allies. They are not an adversary. They are there to protect these kids and they are an ally to these children and the administration. And it's something I think that should be across the country uh, to have each one in these schools because whenever you ask parents if they want an officer in that school, I, I, I swear to God, 80, 90% will say yes. They, they want a special resource over the school. However, it costs money. So it, it's gonna run to your budget plan. But I tell you what, throw out the metal detectors, get rid of them and get special resource officers in there because they are uh, a, a, a great ally to the school uh, for the students and the, uh, and the administration. I 100% agree with you there. I was advocating for when my daughter was in school. It never happened. Luckily, we didn't need it. But at the same time, I wish we would have. But we are almost out of time. So where can our viewers and our listeners find you and your book? You can find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com. And again, my last name, I'm sorry, it's spelled D-L-U-Z-N-E-S-K-I. You find me on LinkedIn. You see my bio there. You'll see the book there. The book is on Amazon. It's called The First Five Minutes. If you type in The First Five Minutes, you'll, you'll see it there, a school shooting survival guide uh, for administrators and uh, teachers. And again, it's a short book. It's a practical book. Um, it's something, again, that is a quick read. It's not a 200-page diatribe for admin. It's something that's quick and easy to read, and it will keep you safe and, and confident uh, that you know what to do. So Again, I, it's more about awareness for me and being aware of the type of drilling and training, uh, the correct uh, drilling and training that you need to do. So um, once again, thank you again for having me on the show. And I hope the word gets out. Well, we will do our best to get it out there because every school in our country needs the book. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And for our viewers and our listeners, stay safe.